Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Good morning. My name is Mark McPherson. I'm the student minister here at our Louisville campus. It's great to be up here on a Sunday. And if you have your Bibles, you go ahead and open them to the book of Ephesians. Like Miss Kayla said, uh, we are going to be continuing where we left off, uh, looking at verses 15 through 23 today, uh, looking at how we are immersed in a new identity in Christ. And uh, as the teaching team kind of said that this is the passage that I would get to cover, I said, y'all done messed up because I have been just in love with this passage and walking in this passage for a long time. And it's just super sweet to get to speak on it. And so last week, if you were here, we looked at verses 3 through 14, and we looked at what is this great salvation that we have, this, this run-on sentence that Paul is saying, this is the gospel. And if you read it too long, you might get dizzy. Uh, it's just an amazing, amazing, uh, just, just preaching that gospel in a sentence, a super long sentence. And then, and then what we see today is that Paul is going to show us his prayers for us. And so we're going to be talking about what Paul is praying over the church, what he's praying for the Ephesians, what he's praying for us. And so we'll be in uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 15. It says this, God's word says in verse 15, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And church, would you, would you pray with me? Father God, we are amazed at how glorious you are. Let your glory shine. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you be with us to, to open our eyes to what you have done in Christ Jesus, that we would see him rightly. God, I pray we be enlightened to that truth, and I pray that truth would transform us to see Christ, to see his glory, to see him high and lifted up. Let it, let it, let it humble us and, and show us our position and walk in your light and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, as I think about this passage, I think about this movie. Uh, there's a movie called La La Land uh, with Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, and, and he's a young guy who loves jazz. He's a man after my own heart. And, and then there's, uh, you know, Emma Stone, and she's an actress, and, and they're both trying to make it in Hollywood. And there's this one pivotal scene in the movie where they're walking down this Hollywood lot, and she goes, you know, they're talking about jazz, and she goes, man, I just hate jazz. And he's He's like, what? You hate jazz? And he's like, he's like, what do you mean you hate jazz? And she's like, I just don't like jazz. And he says, well, what are you doing? And she says, nothing. 
So then, boom, they're in a, they're in a jazz club. They're watching a four-man quintet just get after it in this jazz club. And he's telling her, he's like, hey, I don't understand what you mean you don't like jazz. When people say they don't like jazz, they just, they don't understand the context. They don't understand what jazz is, you know. He's like trying to tell her, to, like, this is amazing. I don't know how you don't see this. And she's going, uh, well, you know, when I was a kid, they would always put jazz on at the cocktail party and everybody would just talk over it. And he goes, that's, that's, that's the problem right there. That's the problem right there. You, you can't just hear jazz. You can't just hear it. You need to see it. You need to see it. You need to see them composing. You need to see the music that's happening. And this is what Paul's prayer is for us today. And not only that we would hear the gospel, what it says in verse 13, it says, in him, you have, uh, you, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying not only do you need to hear the gospel, but you need to see it. You need to see it. So my question is, how often do we set our eyes on the cross? How often do we pray that God would open the eyes of our heart to see what he did at Calvary? How often when we look back on our own salvation and open our eyes to that truth, how often do we see him high and lifted up, shining in the light of his glory? How often is that the response of our hearts? How often is that our prayer for other people? It's just to see him in all his glory. As Paul goes through this text in verses 15 through 23, he's, he's, he's praying for us. He's showing us his prayer for us. And, and to break it down, is that Paul prays, one, for an experience, that we'd experience the gospel. And then Paul is going to pray for enlightenment, that our eyes would be open to that truth. And then Paul is going to pray for empowerment, that we be empowered by the gospel. And so as we look at verse 15, we'll get into how Paul is praying for an experience. So in verse 15, he's connecting verses 3 to 14 to this. He says, for this reason, for the gospel that you've heard, that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. And so what Paul is saying is, I'm never going to assume that you know the gospel. I'm going to show you how the gospel identifies you. We all know that experiences identify us. We we identify with our experiences. This might be a bad example, but like if you survive a hurricane, you get a shirt that says, I survived hurricane, whatever. That's, That's an experience you go through that helps you identify yourself as a survivor. We we are identified by our experiences, and I'm wondering, is, is our experience of God identifying us? Is that our identity? Does it, does it hold to your identity? Does it, does it shape your identity? Paul is saying in verse 15 that we should be identified by the gospel. That, that one, it says in verse 15, as we break it down, it says that, that the faith in the Lord Jesus is a doctrinal practice. That's doctrinal. That's knowledge we should know, that that should shape us. Doctrinal faith. It's in faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved. Doctrinal. And then he also says that in your love towards all the saints, that this would be something that becomes practical. That as you experience the gospel, it should shape you into a loving person. It would, it would ravish your identity and you'd move out as a loving person. You'd be growing. You had a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You'd be growing into a loving person. And as Paul is saying, this is what gives you identity. This is what I see in you as you're in Christ. He's going to show us his prayers for us. This is how the Apostle Paul is praying for us. 
It says in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that, and as he says that, he's saying, this is what I'm praying for you. When I'm praying for you, I pray this for you. Paul's going to continue to say in an amazing way that you would take the truth of the gospel and you would apply it to your heart. That the information you have would turn into transformation. That you would take what's in the textbook and bring it into the lab. That what you have in your mind would drop to your heart. And it would transform you. Paul is praying that you would have a realized experience of the gospel. You would experience it and it would shape you. This is what he says. Before I even get into what he says. Notice what Paul doesn't pray for. Paul's going to pray for us, but Paul's not going to pray for our wealth. And Paul's not going to pray for our health. That seems like a given, but you know what Paul doesn't also, he doesn't pray for our, our love. Paul doesn't pray for our peace. Paul doesn't pray for our courage. Paul doesn't pray for our strength. Paul prays that we would have a knowledge of him. Paul prays that we would know him. And in knowing him, Paul is saying that when I pray that you would know Christ, I'm praying for all of those things. I'm praying for it all. Paul prays that we would know Christ. Paul is praying that we would dive deeper into what we have already been given in him. Not to look anywhere else. Not to pray for things. Not to pray for all these other things. Just, just pray that you would know him. That's what Paul's prayer is for us. In verse 17, it says that, that he would, uh, that the Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. And wisdom is truth rightly applied, that you would take the truth of the gospel and rightly apply it to your heart. And, and of the revelation in the knowledge of him, that as you continuously look at him, you would have these revelations, you would have these epiphanies, you'd have those eureka moments where it would transform you, where the light bulb would go off and you would experience Christ. And as you experience him, you would identify him, he would redefine you. I think about Paul's prayer for us is, is like when you read that love letter. That love letter you might have for, for 30 years that you read over and over and over again. And as you read that love letter again, and you read it again, all of a sudden you can't even read the words on the paper because the, the tears are welling up in your eyes. And as those words on a page start to transform your heart and you experience that love, you would be experiencing and identifying with that loved one. At my wedding, my father-in-law brought this, this, this letter that I wrote him like four years ago. This was just a young guy. I was just blessed to go on a trip to Cabo with him. And I wrote him this letter about his character. Hey, you're great. I'm so thankful. And I, this is what I see in you. This is what I look up to you in. And, I, and he reads it at our wedding, and he's reading it. And I'm thinking, that's right. That's what I see in you. And he's reading it going, this is your character. This is what you're like. And we're having this moment where we're reading a letter, but all of a sudden we're experiencing each other. And it's so fitting at a wedding because we were being redefined in that moment. I used to just be a young boyfriend, and now I'm your son. This is a redefining moment, and we're experiencing it together. That's what Paul is praying for us. As we know him, we be redefined. Paul's prayer for already Christians, already in Christ, is that you would know him more. That you would dive deeper into what is already given to you. Paul is going to pray that we would be enlightened in verse 18, that the eyes of our hope would be open to see Christ rightly. 
The more that we see him, the more that we're enlightened. Paul is going to pray in verse 18. It says this in verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Paul is praying that we look at these three areas. We look at the hope that we have, we look at the riches that we have, and we look at the power that we have. And my question for you is in your daily life, in your daily walk, as you're praying, in our small groups, when we have prayer requests, what are you praying for? Are you praying that you would know him more? Through your struggles, through, through, through all your, through, through sin, through, through confession, are we praying that we would know him more? That we would experience him more? Are we praying that he would enlighten us to the love that he has for us? And that we walk in it. Paul's going to use these three places for us to continuously look back on and say, this is what I want your, heart, your hearts to be open to. This is what I want you to see. And when he starts with this, he says, I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The hope that you have is, this word hope is not like wishful thinking, like, well, I hope this happens. This is Paul saying, this is your assurance. This is the hope you have, the future hope you have that is set in stone because of what Jesus did for you. That he died for our sins. He defeated sin, Satan, and death as he rose from the grave on the third day. He says, and you have a future inheritance. You have a new heavens and a new earth where there are no tears. He says, that's your hope. Paul is using the word hope as an assurance. This is your future. This is what you have. And this is what he's called you to. Don't move on from that. Like he's called you into this. You don't have a conversation in the kitchen and call your husband. Hey, you don't do that because well, he's right in front of you. You call someone when they're far away. You call someone when they're, they're down the street. You call their phone. Their phone rings. That is what God has done for us. By the Holy Spirit, he's called us. We were far away and he brought us in. Paul's saying, don't move on from that. Just stay right there. Just remember that. Soak that in. You've been called, predestined, chosen. Man, we are called into his family. There's an assurance. Jesus has paid for my sins. There's new heavens, new earth. We have eternal life. Man, if that's my assurance, if the biggest disease in my life is sin, Satan, and death, and it's been cured, then everything else in life is just flea bites. It's just flea bites compared to that. That's the hope that you've been called to. Don't move on from that. Let your eyes be open to that. See Christ rightly there. He has opened your eyes by the power of the Holy Spirit. He has opened your eyes. He found you. He intervened in your life. He found you, and he loves you. Praise be to God, he loves you. We should be transformed by that hope we have and continuously look back at Calvary. Look at the cross. Look at the grace afforded to you. Don't move on from that. And then Paul is also going to say that I would love your eyes and your heart to be enlightened to the hope which you have been called, but the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So as we look back at verses 3 through 7, you'll see in verse 11 it says, In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. And then in verse 14, who has guaranteed our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And so yes, we have a new heavens and a new earth. Jesus is going to come and make all things right. There's going to be no tears. We're going to rule with him as kings. And queens. But even that isn't our inheritance. We have a greater inheritance than that. 
We have him. We have a relationship with him, a righteous relationship, a relationship made right, powered by the Holy Spirit through Christ Jesus as we're covered in his righteousness, as he dies for our sins and gives us his perfect life. We have right relationship with the Father. We have a relationship with the Father. That's our inheritance. We can live in that. That's an immeasurable, an amazing, it's a rich, it's a glorious inheritance for us. We get him. But as we look at this verse, there's one word in this verse that I just love. I love how, 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 how it just flips the script here. It says, read it one more time. It says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So our inheritance is that we get God. But his inheritance is that he gets us. Death couldn't hold Jesus. Jesus willingly laid down his life because he wanted us. Because we are his portion he longs to present us before the Father, blameless and, guilt, and, and, and guiltless. We're his portion. He loves us. We are precious to God. We are precious to Christ. We are loved. We are loved from an outside source that has riches of grace. I mean, that, that will transform you. That's, that's singing the songs that we knew as kids, that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and living in it. To be, to be radically changed by the love is to live as if you're loved, to live in that love. To live in that love is to have, have a new affection, the expulsive power of a new affection. That's what, as, as Jesus takes the, the throne of your heart, that he would be your focus. He's what you would long to look at with the eyes of your heart and everything else would just fade away. Idols would fall and we would just be focusing on him and everything else just falls to the wayside. We see this in human love all the time and just infatuation, just little baby love. I see it here with the students. There will be a young man who walks in here and he'll have new shoes. And all of his boys come around him like he's Lazarus and he's been dead for all week. And they're, they're saying, where have you been? What's going on? What's going on? And then I walk up to him and I, I start to talk to him. He's got new clothes and all of a sudden I can smell the deodorant on his armpits. I can see his teeth. They're, they're fresh and he's been flossing. And I go, who's this girl in your life? <laughs> What's her name? He's experiencing love. That love from an outside source that just changes him. He stops hanging out, he stops doing these old things, and he starts picking up new things. That's love radically changing you. So live as if you're loved. Nothing else matters. Tunnel vision right here. I'm a big wrestling guy. There's a, there's a wrestler named Kyle Snyder, and he, uh, he, he beats this Russian back in 2017. It was this huge deal. And then 2018, they're having this epic rematch. And this Russian is so well prepared. I mean, he makes him look foolish, like a child out there, and just gives him the business. And the match is over, and the, the, the reporters come up to Kyle Snyder, and they are, you can just hear it in the way they ask the question. They're just waiting to feast on his tears, you know? They're just sitting there like, you lost that embarrassing match. How do you feel now? And he just says, you know what? I'm fine. He says, listen, I love the sport of wrestling. I love it with my whole heart. But wrestling doesn't define me. Christ does. That's not, that's not a soundbite they can use. That's an amazing way to live as if you're loved, that it redefines you, that you be content in all situations. That's living as if you're loved. 
Paul's praying that we'd open our eyes to the truth, that as we look at ourselves and we see ourselves, we would look to him with the eyes of our hearts and we'd apply his truth to our, to our struggles, to our sin. Man, if, if you're struggling with a sin, a sin situation, something in your life that's sinned, you would look at the scriptures, you'd open up Christ, you'd see that at the cross there is forgiveness of our trespasses and you bring that in. And you stare at the forgiveness we have in Christ. That if we're struggling, if you're in a season of your life that just seems like you can't get out of it, and you're in struggle, and you're in pain, man, it says in verse 11 that he's working all things out to the counsel of his will. And you would soak that in. You draw that in. If you feel like a failure, if you feel like you're not worth it, God says that he's chosen, it's predestined before the foundations of the earth, that you are a son or a daughter, and there's redemption in the blood. And that you will look at Christ and you will say, I'm soaking that in. Spirit, help me see that in Christ. That you would bring that in. That if you have a past that you keep looking back at, and it's haunting you, that you remember that he's uniting all things to him on heaven and earth. And there's a new heaven and a new earth coming. And you soak that in. You bring that in and you apply it. As the Spirit opens your eyes to Christ, you apply it. It would change you. In any circumstance in our life, he is sufficient. God's word says in Psalms that we are the apple of his eye. He redefines us. In Romans 8, verses 15 through 17, it says this, For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons who cry, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's identity speaking over us. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we, that we may also be glorified with him. This is saying that God is going to make you content in your new identity. And yes, you will suffer, but you will be glorified in him. And you need to look at that. Open your eyes to that and watch how you suffer differently because you know you will be glorified with him. You are loved by God. Through Christ, God is our Father. As we're covered in Christ's righteousness, we can boldly approach the throne. Come to our Father. This is a radical love relationship. That radical love relationship brings a power, a counteractive power. Not a power that we think on earthly standards, but a power to actually suffer well. A power to lay down our own lives. That's how Paul closes, is that we would see how he prays for empowerment. In verse 19 it says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places? Do you see the power that's for us? The power that's for us to live in his love. To live in his love is to live in his power. And the power that's for us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And the promise for us is that we have resurrection life. Yes and amen. Jesus has defeated death. And to live in that power and to live in that love is to no longer fear that death. We fear death all the time. That's why we we don't like hurricanes. That's why we don't like tornadoes. 
That's why we fear that three-day period where he won't call you back. Because all those have a little taste of death in them. They have a little power of death in them. And as we fear death, what we truly fear is separation. That one day we'd be cold, empty, in a box, in the earth, separated from everyone we love. But Paul is praying that you would open your eyes to this truth, that the power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power towards us. The same power that raised Christ is the same power that conquered death. Jesus says, I have the keys to death in Hades. He's conquered death. And by that same power, he comforts you and says, I'm with you always until the end of the age. He longs to comfort us by his spirit. And for us to open our eyes to the truth and the power we have is constantly, constantly look at that truth. Look at that truth. Bring it in. Pray the Spirit would open your eyes to Christ. And as we bring it in, it would transform us. We would live with a hope, a certainty, an assurance that, yes, it's Friday, but Sunday is coming. We have a hope. Paul is praying as we pray that we be almost, we almost be meditating. That meditation is that where, where Bible study and prayer are happening at the same time until it's no longer either one of them. But that we would be taking in God's word to a point where we're taking in his grace, we're taking in his word, we're taking in his truth, we're taking in his promise, and it's actually catching fire within our hearts. Information is a transformation. Where does it feel like God is failing you right now in your life? Is it in your finances? Is it in your politics? Is it in your sickness? Where is God failing you? In those areas, God's calling you to look at his truth. Draw it in. Draw in the promise. Let it catch fire in your heart. Don't move on from his saving grace. Don't move on from his gospel. Soak it in. Stay there. Open your eyes more and more to Christ. When Abraham and Sarah were old in age and they couldn't have a baby, Abraham, he stayed firm. He looked at the promise. This is what it says in Romans 4, 20 and 21. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He didn't waver. He stood firm and he held on to the promise. And it says, as he gave glory to God, he became fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. We are to describe glory to God to make them the king of our heart, that our eyes of our heart would be open to what he did on the cross, that we'd be focused, lasered in to what he did on the cross, and it would transform us. It would hold us firm. As we give God glory, as we give him that glory, we worship him. What we have ascribed worth shapes us. That's worship. We would worship him. It would shape us. It would re-identify us. We'd see him rightly. We'd sing those old songs Maybe not that old, early 2000s. I want to know you. I want to know you more. I want to see your face. 
Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. See you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Paul is praying, don't move on. Don't look for anything else. Look at the cross. Look at the salvation afforded to you. Look at the blood spilt for you. Look at the redemption for you. Don't move on. Stay in it. Gaze at him. Let that transform you. Let the truth of Christ be something you meditate on. Jesus says this in Revelation 21, verses 5 through 7. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's identifying language. Sons and daughters in Christ. His words are trustworthy and true. Don't move on from it. Sit. Meditate. Bring it in. Draw from the promise until you're unwavered, until you're steadfast, until you're content, until you feel his peace, until you feel his hope, until you feel his promise. Don't move on from it. Meditate. Sit in what God has for you. This is the truth. Don't let this be jazz music in the background that you talk over. Don't let it be something that just you casually go about your life with. But see it. Let the audio turn to video. Experience him. Dive deeper into what you already have in Christ Jesus. Don't move on. Stay. Absorb his truth. Meditate on it and let the truth catch fire in your heart. Let's pray. Father, you are good, you are mighty, you are holy. Father, I pray that you'd grant the Holy Spirit just to move in this place. Move in our hearts. Open the eyes of our hearts to see Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our hearts. You'd open the eyes. God, if there's someone who's never experienced your great salvation, that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes, that they would hear Jesus knocking at the door, and they would respond. And Father, for your sons and daughters in Christ, that they would grow deeper and deeper in the knowledge of him. Spirit, move in, in mighty ways that we would have contentment, peace in Christ Jesus. Strengthen us as we look at your cross. Let everything else be like flea bites as we look at the hope to which we've been called, our inheritance in you, your inheritance in us, and the great power that is for us in Christ Jesus. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. How God's working for you in this age and the age to come. Now, i got to move quickly.
Now, I will say, in, in the age is right now or the age to come. Sometimes when I leave, I talk to Marcy, I tell you, I love you. I'll say, this side or the other. What, what, and I just mean like, hey, I love you right now. And if it's on the eternity, I love you then too, right? This side in this age or the age to come. So if your faith is in Jesus Christ, I need you to hear this. Resurrected power means God's getting your life right right now. In every way that you think he's getting it wrong, he's nailing it. And if you had the 2020 hindsight, you would agree that he's nailing it, but you don't have the perspective of God. It says this in Romans 8, 28, this is resurrected power. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose. I got a short illustration here is I try to play baseball at Tech, broke my foot, worst day. Went to Abilene Christian, I hate Abilene. If you've ever been to Abilene, it's not awesome. That's where they want me to play. It's not what I wanted. I was devastated. But you know what? ACU, I met my wife, and I, get, I have three beautiful kids. And I, now I look back. I'm like, God, thank you. Thank you for taking tech away from me. Thank you for breaking my foot. Now, in that moment, I did not want my foot to be break, broke. I wanted to play at tech. Now, that's just a small, a small, a small view of what God's doing in your entire life. I, and, and there's some ways that I can't even trace it, but I know he's good. And you can look at your life in the same, uh, same way. This side or the other, the age to come, resurrection. That's why we say rest in peace. You ever go to a graveyard, particularly Christians were known for this. Um, uh, it's, 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 it's not known as a, uh, it's not a graveyard. It's, I can't even think of the word, so I'm just gonna move past it. But we believe they're gonna rise. Why? Because of John eleven twenty five 25 says this, this is resurrection power. Even if you die, you'll live. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. So even when you physically die, we know that you were going to raise one day when Christ returns. We're just sleeping. That's true in Christ. That's resurrected power. And to close it all off, resurrected power, this side or the other. He's going to get it right. Even if you can't trace his hand in this life, you will in the next, says in Revelation 21, verses three to six. This is all about the spirit of God working your heart to see it more rightly. And I heard a loud voice that, from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself uh, with them as their God. This is when Christ returns, uh, verse four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated at the right, uh, on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. So we believe this as Christians. We believe that Jesus Christ is going to raise, that we will have resurrected, we'll have physical resurrected bodies and then make all things new. He says, write this down. I like when God says, write it down. The why? Because Test me on it. This is going to happen. You may not believe it's going to happen sometimes, but it's happening. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. This is Jesus' resurrected power. Only the Spirit of God can help you walk in that. This is what Paul's praying. Is this enough for our lives? Yes and amen. If this is true, you are forgiven, you're beloved, you're a son, a daughter of God, that he right now is working all things together for good and one day you will rise from the grave and all th sad things come true. Spirit of God says that's true. Let it, that be true of our hearts and our lives. Let it change our perspectives because if that is true, it will change every single reality of our lives. So let's pray. God, I pray that you'd help us walk in the spirit of wisdom that Paul's praying for. We need your grace to do that. I pray the eyes of our hearts would grow in love with Jesus more. Maybe it's the first time that we'd actually believe, that we believe that Jesus is a Savior, that we confess our sins and believe in Jesus and be saved. 
For others, I pray that we'd grow in just the knowledge and wisdom and grace that's in Jesus, that he's lavished upon us, that we belong to him, and that you're working a resurrection power in this life and the life to come. I ask that in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.